Hello and welcome to a live deprogrammed interview. My name is Carrie Smith. This is a relatively new channel. If the algorithm brought you here and you think you're watching my old channel, you're not. So please hit like and subscribe. Um, we also have a Patreon now and a Subscribestar and a Locals if you are able to and would like to support the show financially. And if you can't, just hit like, share the videos. That helps us out a lot. So I'm not going to keep my guests waiting today. Um, I'm very fortunate to be able to talk to Bill Ottman, who is the founder of Minds.com. Welcome, Bill. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm going to turn your microphone up just a little. Cool. And we just realized before we started that we may have met each other on a staircase once <laughs> at uh, Tim Pool's podcast. <laughs> so good to see you again. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. So I've been watching some of your videos. And I, I want to start with, for anybody who doesn't know, who maybe doesn't know, why don't you tell us a little bit about what Minds is and what made you decide to get into the game of social media and creating a platform? Sure, yeah. I mean, Minds is a open source, decentralized social network, and we're basically trying to do everything the inverse of big tech. So, you know, they're not transparent. We share all of our code. Everything we do is is open source. People can make their own social network with our code. All of our algorithms are obviously open for anyone to audit and comment on. Um, we don't want people's personal information. Big tech is surveilling everybody. We want to decentralize our infrastructure. We don't even want to be a middleman in any way. Unfortunately, with social networks, the way that they're built, like they're very complex. And so having something that is fully decentralized is extremely difficult but that is our goal and then you know in terms of free speech we stick to the first amendment we want as much speech as possible because honestly the empirical evidence shows that that creates healthier societies long term and that's pretty obvious to anyone who's ever looked into it um that you don't just ban ideas that you know e even if they're very offensive to you that <laughs> That, that, that's not the best long-term solution. In fact, it increases radicalization and can even lead to violence. So uh, we just wrote a, a, a huge paper on that um, called Is the this what you did with Daryl Davis? Yeah. Okay. And what's it called? I'm sorry, I cut you off. It's called the censorship effect. If you go to minds.com slash change, you can find it. And uh, yeah, Daryl and I uh, were fortunate to go and share it on, on Rogan recently and I mean, it's a big deal because, you know, the the big argument from big tech is that they're sort of protecting people and they're making the world safer by banning controversial content or hateful speech or, or misinformation, whatever, you know, their new buzzword for it is now. But if there's actually a peer reviewed body of research around what actually happens when people get banned and, you know, sort of following their behavior and, and, and tracking radicalization and isolation and, and, it, you know, across the board, it pretty much shows that censorship causes people to be affirmed in their beliefs, which makes total sense. I mean, if you get banned from Facebook or Twitter for posting a study about COVID, what are you going to think? Of course, you're going to think that there's some conspiracy coming from Facebook and there's some big yeah. agenda against this information. <laughs> yeah, I I actually had a couple of posts removed. I had one removed on Facebook and got a, I think it was a 30 day or seven day ban, 30 day shadow ban or three mm -hmm. months shadow ban, something like that. And it was a scientific study that I had shared yeah. and uh, they had just changed the algorithm and they directed me to their to their new terms of service. They had just updated the terms of service. And I started reading it because I was curious and they had buried in there. It said uh, that they will now remove you, remove content and punish you with, with, with the shadow bans or, or what have you. If, even if your post is not untruthful, um, if it might cause someone to have vaccine hesitancy, mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it was just, they were openly admitting it, it could be it could be the truth, but we're gonna we're gonna take it down now. Um, yeah, the history so, books are not gonna look kindly upon this phase of human history, where yeah. you know there it was just such a such a broad stroke. Um, yeah, I I want to get into some of 
you know, take apart some of what you talked about, about what makes minds different. But I wanted to ask about you. Who are you? And how did you decide, you know what, I'm doing this, I'm going to build this open source platform? I mean, I always just thought that it was inevitable that there would be something with free speech. And there literally never has been. I mean, even though a decade ago, you could get away, you know, you could say a lot more on Twitter and YouTube and Facebook. Like they, you know, they rode the wave of allowing as much controversial oh, speech yeah. as they could. It, granted, it still was not fully free speech. It was still actually quite restrictive, but like the policies were way more lax than they are now. But I just still thought it was so odd that there was nothing with, you know, that allowed more explicit content. And not that that's what our goal was. It was just, it seemed, I've always been obsessed with freedom of information. And so for me, freedom of, freedom of information is actually like the base principle. Because if you don't have access to like the full scope of human knowledge and information, then you literally cannot even be in a position to speak and have freedom of speech in an informed way because you are, you know, you're, you're the basis of your education is lim is, is limited. You're, mm -hmm. you're, you don't have access to the information which could create informed speech. So, um, you know, so whether we're talking about corporate secrecy or government secrecy, like my passion, like for the last, honestly, like probably 20 years has been free and free information and like both on the government end and the corporate end. Mm -hmm. What is it about you? Do you think, and maybe you don't have an answer, but is there anything um, in your past that makes you someone who's, who's so concerned with freedom of information and freedom of speech? Because I've talked to people who I, I was in the social justice left for about two decades mm -hmm. and, um, when I started realizing it wasn't liberalism, <laughs> that it was actually kind of illiberal, I still maintained friendships with some of my friends in that in that belief system who would call themselves liberals, but then be organizing petitions to get people like Alex Jones banned from Twitter. Mm -hmm. And it it really I, I guess I've become kind of obsessed with just talking to people and figuring out what is it that makes someone able to have a clear perception about about issues like freedom of speech and censorship. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of those people would say they support free speech while they're working to suppress it. Is there something in your background? Is there something in your character that that makes you open minded? I mean, honestly, <laughs> I, I have a little bit of a similar similar experience to you. I went to UVM for college and, you know, UVM is very social justice oh it where is uvm i don't know that in one. vermont university oh, okay. of vermont and you know i was co-organizing protests with you know labor groups and was involved with like you know but it, it was more like students against war was my fo focus um but that sort of all meshes together with the labor people and like they're all organizing together and a lot of the the issues overlap so i made friends with a lot of those people and but back then it was very much like the speech the censorship agenda was not nearly as prominent back in like yeah you know, i graduated in like 2008 and most people would have said like oh yeah absolutely free speech um i don't think that a lot of the modern censorship advocates on you know if you want to say it's it, it's it's on the left i don't think it's not only on the left there but i don't think that they even like to say they support free speech anymore i some of them do and the ones who do are the ones who are kind of clinging on to that you know classical liberal thing like yeah you know and you and you still see pro real progressives people like chomsky and greenwald and abby martin and you know, all those people, like they're not calling for Alex Jones to be banned from social media. They might not like him, but they're not, they don't want it to be banned. Like actual progressives. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I agree. So when you started Minds, I'm, I'm going to put myself in the shoes of the common man. My husband thinks this is hilarious. And I'm like, but I'm the common man. Explain it to me. But I, <laughs> A lot of us are being we've we've seen the censorship. A lot of people that that watch the show have seen the censorship happening 
they've been censored, they've been banned from certain platforms. And whenever there's a, a new alternative platform, we sign up, uh, we get excited, and then people either don't use it or we find, mm. hey, guess what? This site is also suppressing speech. And then is it, what makes Minds different? Give me your pitch about Minds and why people should be paying attention to it. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I, I'm almost like anti-pitch. Oh no. <laughs> but, okay, you were in well, an elevator. I will explain <laughs> basic things. I think because psychologically, like what's worse than someone like trying to convince you to do and do anything, to be honest. I think that it's uh when you feel, when you feel like someone is pitching you on whether it's some sort of political belief or, you know, doing this app or, I don't know. Anyway, that doesn't mean I can't talk about it. I, I, right. I just, the, the, I get a little bit, um, I'm, I'm a allergic to that word, but what I'll say is that word, you know, so we're trying to become decentralized, um, wherein we, it, it's not even our decision. If you can, you know, like for instance, we have a jury system in our, in our moderation. What's that infrastructure. mean? So basically like, Right now, if a user thinks that we made a bad decision on, you know, some sort of report, then they can actually appeal it. And then it goes to a flash jury of 12 active users who can actually overturn us. Okay. Which no one else has. I mean, the, yeah, that's unique. Yeah. So, so that's the type of thing that we're trying, trying to do. And, and we want to massively expand that where. The com it's literally community governed and you know the the thing you have to be careful about and the reason we haven't rolled this out for all of the decisions yet is because obviously mobs you have to be careful of mobs taking over these these types of systems but ultimately that is where it needs to go um mm -hmm. you know you you can't just have some centralized some very tiny group of people making decisions for you know, the speech of the planet. It's just a ridiculous idea. So, you know, that's a big thing. Additionally, we've integrated with multiple like decentralized systems. Um, like right now we're working with this relay node network called Noster where, you know, so you, when you post on mines, it actually goes out to this like uncensorable relay system, which we can't even take down. It can theoretically get taken down from certain nodes depending on the node operator but like it can't you know the like kind of the way torrents work mm -hmm. um you know probably used actually napster or um, oh okay is that where there's like little pieces of information on different yeah, exactly. computers okay it's not exactly like that but it's it's similar and i think that you know when napster blew up it's so it, it, that that was kind of like the original mainstream peer-to-peer -peer network and, you know, none of big tech is doing anything like this. Um, and then additionally, we do like rev shares with creators. We want to help creators make as much money as possible, get as much reach as possible. You know, we don't require any personal information, obviously not trying to surveil people. So, you know, just go down the list of things that you could do differently from big tech and, and we're literally doing it as differently as possible. The, the, what I will say, the, the only good thing about Web2 is you know there are certain ux decisions that they've made that are good like that's why it sort of feels like every app is becoming the same app like literally instagram TikTok, snapchat youtube even i mean they're all the functionality is coalescing where you're sort of doing the same thing on every network mm -hmm. with slight tweaks but like you know you see twitter you know they they deprecated it but they rolled out fleets um and i didn't story, have time story, yeah, to find ahead. out what fleets were with those videos. They're just stories. Okay. So stories are happening everywhere. YouTube now has status posts. The point being that the it's the same thing. They have, they have DMs. They have, you know you post your media. That's it. That mm -hmm. that that's what's going on. And I think they've done a good job. And this is why people are so addicted to them. And like you're saying, you know, they try some alternatives, but then they go back. You know, a lot of the reason they go back is one, they have the critical mass. And two, because their tech is badass. I mean, it's it's not it's totally corrupt and you know rotting from the inside. 
but it's super smooth functionality. And, you know, a lot of the, they have billion endless resources, billions of dollars across all of these apps to have all the best developers. So, you know, there's going to be a little lag time before the alternative can really catch up, but I think we're getting close and, um, in the next few years, things are going to change. I think. When you said, when you're talking about the, the jury system that you have for content moderation, what kind of content do you moderate? Um, so our content policy is basically reflective of the First Amendment. Um, and, you know, obviously like doxing and like malicious spam, things like that. You know, there, you know, it's not like there's a spam clause in the <laughs> First Amendment. Um, but if someone's like attacking the site with spam or like going on some crazy like doxing campaign, like doxing is also not covered in the First Amendment, but that's like pretty clearly like a threat to somebody. So like all that, you know, that kind of stuff. We also, you know, have a system where so we do allow NSFW content or explicit content, mm -hmm. which oddly Twitter also allows full blown Oh, they do. They do. They I do. stumbled down some trending. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very gross things. Yes. I, I'm not even talking about mainstream. I've saw some things I wish I could unsee. <laughs> I know. But honestly, to me, like, I think that I don't, I'm not like into that stuff, but it absolutely has a right to exist under the First Amendment. If you've ever seen People versus Larry Flint, it's a great movie. You got to mm, see it. Mm -hmm. it's, about, it's about the hustler thing with Woody Harrelson. And also, oddly, sex work is one of the topics that a lot of the free speech people on the left support, like to the maximum degree. They're yeah. always talking about like free speech for you know OnlyFans and, and this kind of stuff. So, um, but anyway, in our system, if you come in and you're just posting like tons of NSFW content and not tagging it, if you get if you do that three times and that gets reported three times then your channel will just get totally you know, put under NSFW. And the reason that we, and, and you kind of have to do that with like porn and stuff, mm -hmm. because, you know, if people are just like, you need to give people control so that when they first sign up to the app, like they're not seeing. They can choose if they want to they see can it choose, or not. Yes, yeah. exactly. You can opt in and you can turn on those filters so that you can see anything you want. But like, there are a couple of categories with like, you know, extreme violent content as well. Yeah. You know, that needs to be behind not nothing calling for violence, but if say you have some footage, war footage or something that clearly has like real value and it's, but it's extremely explicit. So the way that it works is that, and you can appeal it if you think that, you know, you were misflagged as an NSFW channel. Um, so that's just one, you know, one capability of it where it's actually been very effective. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And that seems yeah. completely reasonable that, you know, we believe in free speech. We're absolutist about it. So we're going to let you put this stuff up, but you need to let people know what it is so they don't accidentally come across it <laughs> like I did. Um, yeah. I wanted to read something to you. When I, I titled this episode something like front porches and big social because I, my mind keeps coming back to the past year or so this this part of the book Fahrenheit 451 um where the character is talking about porches and I just think there's so much metaphor here do you mind if I read this very quickly please do she says my uncle says there used to be front porches and people sat there sometimes at night talking when they wanted to talk rocking and not talking when they didn't want to talk Sometimes they just sat there and thought about things and turned things over. My uncle says the architects got rid of the front porches because they didn't look well. But my uncle says that was merely rationalizing it. The real reason, hidden underneath, might be that they didn't want people sitting like that, doing nothing, rocking, talking. That was the wrong kind of social life. People talked too much and they had time to think. So they ran off with the porches. And I love that part of the book because it, it made me think about just all of the impediments we have in our modern day life to actual conversation. <laughs> and I know that I was thinking about the internet and, and all this time that we spend on social media, it's the internet, Twitter minds, all these places, they are a kind of front porch 
Um, but, I, but I think there's something happening in, in, with big social where they're trying to, um, limit and control type of conversation that happens on that porch and kick certain people off of it. Um, does that, does that quote bring anything to mind for you or am I just off on a tangent? I think you're muted. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, I, yeah, that's completely true. It's like the town square, the front porch, the front porch is, is cool because I think it gets into a little bit more of, you know, not necessarily like the town's political conversation or the town's, you know, yeah, like policy stuff. It gets into more sort of just social, like so social interaction between people in their town and kind of how, how it used to be situated and um yeah i is is it implying that there was literally like a concerted that that's fascinating to me that there was a concerted effort to remove it from the architecture or yes in the book fahrenheit 451 yeah mm -hmm. she's she's implying that her uncle and this might be like one of the things you're talking about where somebody starts to believe in things that are so-called conspiracy theories because uh, because they've come to have very good reason not to trust authorities. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but whether there's a concerted effort or not, I mean, even in our real lives, we don't spend time on porches anymore. I heard my, uh, my, uh, my pastor gave a sermon once that was really interesting. It was about, it was about how, when a new kind of technology comes around, sometimes we can see the positives immediately. So with the invention of the automobile, for example, we immediately are thinking this is going to be great. People are going to have greater connectivity. We can travel great distances and see our friends and family. You can live far away from people. Um, but one of the unintended effects of that is that towns are no longer built around this central square. You know, it used to be people could walk to their local hospital. Their, they could walk to their church. They could walk to the school. And at the end of the day, people would sit out on porches and you would have conversations and there was so much more connectivity. And um, thinking about that, it sort of seemed like, yeah, there's something simpler, similar that's happened with the internet where it was supposed to create all this connectivity and it has in a lot of ways. And I've met amazing people. I get to have conversations with people like you, but on the other hand, like sometimes I think about what, what have we lost because of it? Mm. Um, yeah. I think that, you know, architecturally just from a basic sense, like you know, you either have this section of your house, which is like public facing and is almost like inviting the public in to sort of communicate. You know, people are walking by, they see other people on the front porch. You know, if they're sitting out front, it's just mu much more likely that you're going to have some sort of social interaction. And, you know, comparably, I, th I, I would sort of compare that if I had to with, with like modern tech, I mean, it's very similar to sort of the idea of like a closed gar a walled garden of like big tech where, you know, they, they really don't have a front porch. They don't have a way, they don't share their code. So there's not like a common protocol for other networks or other people to kind of engage with that network without like going inside the house. Mm. And so that's kind of like the big difference between open networks and closed networks. And so, you know, pretty much all of big tech are closed networks. They don't share any of their code and there's no like open protocol. Like the internet is an open protocol. Bitcoin is an open protocol. Ethereum is an pr open protocol. Torrents, you know, these are all open systems and they're much more, they, they, they create much more connectivity. And I think that it's, it was really a power play for the web 2.0 companies to, to not build on open protocols because they wanted all the users, you know, they wanted control over everything. They wanted control over the revenue they, and, and the speech. And so, yeah, I think, I, I think it's a really cool metaphor. The narrative, the conversation, all of it. Yeah. Um, so, so I've, in one of your interviews, actually, I think it was the Rogan one. I heard you talking about some of the dark side of big social about what some of these companies are doing. I'm really interested in that stuff. You mentioned a study that I had read about um, at the time, at the time it was disclosed, it was that secret study that Facebook did. 
where mm. they tried to see if they could manipulate the mood of their users. Can you tell people about that one if they're not familiar with it? Yeah, this one was from a while back. I want to say, you know, maybe like at least five years. And so they just did a study with Princeton where they would inject content into people's feeds and try to spawn certain reactions. And, you know, they have those kind of emoji reactions. I think that's what they were using. And, you know, so they wanted to see if they could put stuff in there and make people happy or put stuff in there and make people sad. And they could. <laughs> Yeah. So, and they were doing it and they weren't telling people that they were doing it. So it's just really, really crazy. And so they apologize of, for it. Everybody apologized for it, but you know that they're still, that you know, they're still doing it. And um, just to, to, to think about engineer, social engineering on that scale. And I, I mean, it makes it, it's obvious that we're impacted by, the content that we see on social media. Um, and it can definitely impact our moods. Now, yeah, I just think that transparency is the key. And like, it's totally like, from a data science and academic perspective, I think that, you know, they could have handled that just in a completely different way, where, you know, there was some sort, you know, the algorithm was open source, they asked people, hey, do you want to be a part of this? You know, we want to see the impact of social media, like on people's emotions. And, you know, we'll even like pay you to, you know, accept this. And it's going to be like all transparent to you. Mm -hmm. You know, that is how you conduct academic research online. And mm -hmm. that's a reasonable thing to do um, because it's good for everybody to know the impact that this is having on our on our brains. But yeah. just the fact that they were doing it in that way and, you know, that sort of coupling with all of the other shadow banning and kind of algorithmic manipulation that they're involved with, it's just, it's very dark. It is very dark. So what kind of secret studies are you guys running at Mines? On your, I'm just... <laughs> our, our, our news feed is just chronological. Um, so we're like, that's one of the commitments that we've made, like our core newsfeed, we're never going to like remove posts or, um, you know, there are other options. Like you can filter it, your feed by like the top posts of people you're subscribed to, but by default, we stick to chronological because I think that, you know, that's sort of the basic social contract with social media where you're saying like, Hey, I subscribe to you. I get your stuff. You subscribe to me, you get my stuff. That's like what the platforms are supposed to facilitate. But now the way it is, you know, on Facebook, you're only getting like a few percent organic reach. So, you know, you not yeah. before. Can you explain what that means to people? I don't think people realize when yeah, they're posting. So, yeah. So if you have a thousand subscribers and you make a post on Facebook, and assuming, let's assume all of those subscribers are like active and checking their feed. On Facebook, only like 30 of those people are gonna get your post. Um, and that, that, that's, you know, rough. It could be less in some circumstances. It could be more in other circumstances, but um, that's just insane. I mean, it's it's just like such. It, it makes the whole thing seem like such a waste of time. You know, you 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 spend a decade building up followers on these platforms, and then suddenly it's just the whole thing was a waste of time. I mean, you can't. You're only reaching three percent of them. That's what's really dangerous, and that's why sort of the what the decentralized social movement is really working on is making it so that the the creator owns their social network and like you know you have access to you have direct access to the people who subscribe to you mm -hmm. and how, yeah how so well that well wherein you know reliably you're going to be able to reach them when you post okay. yeah so that they're aware and they're not just 
reading what Facebook wants them to see as opposed to what they actually indicated to Facebook that they want to see. Yeah. You mentioned that it's it's such a small percentage of people who see your posts on Facebook. I think it's even smaller if you're a page or a business mm -hmm. because they're trying to incentivize you spending money for ads. Mm -hmm. And so I've noticed just on various pages I've run or like my church's page, the reach is a lot less. Um, and then there's this constant push to get you to buy. So I think th I think that's a big difference. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I mean, yeah, it's sad. I mean, because we we used to drive a ton of traffic to mines from Facebook. And then this was like probably back in like 2012. And then it literally just became like a useless tool. It wasn't it, it's almost not worth the energy to post the reach was so bad. And these were on pages with like a million followers. It's um, I, I, I think that's such a betrayal to the community. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people literally spend portion, significant portions of their lives trying to build up social followings. You know, you can call that a little bit sad, but it's also <laughs> sort of understandable. I mean, look, people want to build their own net networks. And that's what was cool about Facebook and Twitter in the beginning. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, you know, Web, web 1 was like, you know, the killer app of Web 1 was I can go to like Google or ask Jeeves or, you know, net, you know, whatever, some random search engine. And I type something in and I get results. That was like one of the original cool things you could do on the internet. Yeah. That was before social media. And then social media comes along and okay, I can now post out, you know, I'm not just grabbing information. I can actually publish. And so like everyone, it sort of democratized publishing in a way. And it was really cool for a while until the algorithms came in and like all of these bad incentives from the centralized social companies. And now, you know, the next wave, some people like to call it web three, other people don't like that term, whatever you want to call it doesn't matter. Decentralized internet, it, it, whatever you want to call it, it, it just gets into ownership Yeah, you know, where the user actually has ownership of, of their keys, of their content, of their network. So that's that's really where we are trying to go. It's it's, it's not easy to get there technically, but I, we're, we're going to. I've noticed the same thing on YouTube. So in my old life, I've worked in comedy management production. I lived in, I lived in LA and I worked with a number of comedians. And one of the comics I worked for was, do you remember that viral video Kelly, oh my God, shoes. You may not know, gay men would know, but <laughs> it was this video that had, it, it was like one of the first viral comedy videos, millions of views. And there were, there were creators like him at that time who were going viral just based on word of mouth. And it was sort of, it was an organic thing. It wasn't, there was no tastemaker who's at YouTube who selected it and pushed right, it, right? right? It was, it was a democracy in action with the people who are using YouTube. And the same thing with all the viral cat videos and stuff, you know, it was like, this is what people wanted to see. And then over time, it became more um, like Facebook and these other places where they had, they have uh, these, these uh, intermediary people that you have to go through the tastemakers and those people who are showing you what to watch. And the al algorithm kept getting tweaked more and more to where now I feel like anybody who has, who builds up a following as large as someone like, like a Tim Pool or um, Nerdrotic or Geeks and Gamers, like those guys, they really have fought all the odds because it's not, the algorithm's not in their favor. And when you do searches, or you're talking about searching on Ask Jeeves and stuff, a couple years ago, it got to where I, I do searches on YouTube now. I can't even find sometimes the video I'm looking for. If I know the name of the video and the content creator, I still have to go through six pages of authoritative sources Right. that you might be looking for instead. Um, and and this gets back to the heart of that uh, freedom of information thing that you're talking about. It's just they're making information harder to find for the average person. Yeah. And I think it's going to, it's just, I mean, there's no trust. Every, no one trusts them. Everyone's addicted yeah. to them, but it, they have all completely lost the creator's trust. So I don't think that, I think we're actually in a good place where, you know, unfortunately it's still where the critical mass is hanging out, 
but they've dropped the ball so hard that you know we're going to see more ethical kind of user powered options pop up in in games gain steam like it it is happening now i mean it, it it's not happening necessarily as fast as we would want it to happen but you know the other problem is that because we're not willing to spy on everybody it makes it harder to grow and that's what they did you know they just reached I... they reached into everybody's address books they used all these really dirty growth hacking techniques to to grow as fast as possible no matter the cost and so it's kind of like when you have principles around those kinds of things the growth just has to be completely grassroots and that takes a little longer when people are hopelessly addicted i mean the thing is like facebook and twitter they had nothing to compete against mm. it was just like it was all new everybody was like oh okay it's not like there was there there was some something that people had to leave to go to Facebook and Twitter right. that they were already addicted to. So I think that there's a couple of forces that make the shift harder, but it's still going to happen. It's just, it's completely inevitable that that's just why you see, I mean, all you have to do is look at the history of, of open systems and open protocols constantly dominating. And I mean, the, the internet itself is literally, I mean, email it was built on an open protocol, SMTP, SMTP. That's why there's all these different email clients. Google just did to email what you know they did to video, and they just created like this centralized version. But you know, you can take your Gmail messages and like leave if you want. Most people don't really realize that they just stay in Gmail, even we though in even though literally our- Google is. Re- they're they're not there's not like some dude reading them but all of your gmail messages are just being scanned and you're being targeted all of drive all of google drive is being scanned yeah so you know it's not to say absolutely 100 never use those tools ever but it's just like be aware i mean why why do you want google like you, it's it's so unnecessary to use gmail like there's so many different options but it's uh, understandably it's so easy and it's so smooth and it's just integrated and everything. So it's just, but it like, it, I'm not saying this like as any kind of a guilt trip. Like I'm not saying like I use Google drive. Uh, I, I got onto proton mail luckily even in proton. The thing is that with, with these products that are these, you know, new alternatives, there's a Ben, the, the benefit, it feels great to use them. Like, mm because you know it's sort of like abandoning you know fast food that you're addicted to or something but yeah i mean it's it's still not quite as good to use protonmail but like it's good enough and it i think the benefit outweighs not using gmail so or using gmail so I don't know, but what whatever app you're talking about, whether it's a browser or search or social network, like it's just one thing at a time and there's no rush, but just, you know, I think that people are sort of realizing. Yeah. So it, it is like an addiction, as you said, and I'm now, <laughs> I'm thinking I got on Proton, I got off of Gmail. I was on ProtonMail. I went back to Gmail I need to go back to Proton Mail. <laughs> and, and, and I'm assuming it's sort of similar to what I said, where you were just like, ah, this just isn't like quick enough. Or like, no, what, what, it was, what was it that made you go back? Oh, I left my old company and then I just never I haven't started my own yet. But oh, they to. it was a company email. Yeah, yeah. It was a company oh, email on Proton. Right. I was using that for a while. And so um, yeah, I just need to start it. And but you're right, there's so many things, uh, they make it so easy and especially when it comes to things like not just not just Gmail and Drive, but like the social networks, the ones that didn't have to compete, that built up the audiences. Um, it occurs to me that we are in sort of these prisons of our own making. But the more that they censor and the more that they push people off, it's sort of uh, they're working against themselves because isn't it, it's going to hit a critical mass at some point, right? Where there's so many people who've been pushed off that it that it makes sense for people to leave these places they've always known. 
Yeah, they're making it completely unsustainable. And I think that, I mean, let's just look at Twitter. You know, Elon is saying exactly what we're saying. I mean, he's saying that Twitter needs um, free speech. He is saying that they need open source algorithms. He's saying that they need encrypted messenger. Um, and now I don't know if you saw today, but, you know, the deal is on hold now because they're not disclosing their how they're uh, detecting their bot numbers. So they yeah. they they publicly are saying that it's less than 5% of the total user base and he doesn't believe that. And so he wants them to sort of prove that it is and they're not willing to show. So he's That sounds like might that not sounds happen. like a Bill, that sounds like Theranos to me and Elizabeth Holmes, who's like, I can't give you that information. Well, I can't give you that information you want because it would be exposing my, what did she call it? Her reasoning for not uh, showing the 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 information they needed. Oh, companies, trade secrets. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's absolutely part of Twitter's excuse. And, you know, they're also trying to say, oh, it's like user privacy excuse. Yeah, they they can definitely disclose their their code without compromising user information. So yeah. that's BS. Yeah, or trade secrets. I would think. I just wanted to say thank you to Mythinform. They gave a super chat of twenty bucks, and they say Minds does not support censorship based on political bias. Can Elon Musk realistically change the culture at Twitter? What do you think? I mean, he's already changing the culture at Twitter, even without buying it, and. So, I mean, I don't know. It's, you know, you can't predict the future if he would actually completely follow through on what he wanted to do. But I think the reason, I think he knows that he could do his own thing or he could come work with one of us. I talked to one of his, uh, or his head of philanthropy and, you know, is definitely open to having a conversation you know, the good thing about Twitter is that the, the full political spectrum is there already. Mm -hmm. And everybody, you know, particularly the left. And I think that he knows that there's value in that. Yes. And getting, because getting everyone to go to a new place. I mean, we actually have probably, I mean, definitely more progressive users than most alternative social networks because we've really tried to stay more politically neutral that, you know, a lot of the alternatives are like conservative right. social networks. And I just don't really know why they do that. They have the right to do that. That's fine. But I don't think that, that it's never something that you would be able to build a balanced community on. It would, right. they, they would just never do that. So, um, but I think that if the answer to answer the question, like, yeah, it is possible. It would be very difficult though. And, mm -hmm. but he's, you know, the, probably the best entrepreneur in the world. So, if, I mean, the fact that the one of the richest men in the world is willing to troll like he does on Twitter and post the memes that he does and comment in the ways he does, regardless of if you agree with everything that he's saying. I mean, the in terms of like the Overton window, he is completely breaking it. Like the whole... No other billionaire does that. Yeah. And even you saw Jeff Bezos start to do some chirping on Twitter. And it's like, because when people of that elite status actually don't care and will just say what they want to say, I mean, that is such an important yes. thing. Yeah. Because the weight, I think I hear what you're saying. It's almost as if the weight of him saying it with as much influence as he has and with as, with as big of a microphone as he has, it, him alone can pull the window back like in a tug of war just a little bit you know oh yeah um, all the other billionaires who are sitting there kind of like worried about being politically correct and kind of thinking that you know they they can't just say what they want to say he's he's completely changed that so and you know the other thing if he op like open sourcing twitter which he's saying he would do like that's complete game changer because that enables us to work on a common protocol as Twitter and then the networks can talk to each other so that all your content on Twitter is coming to minds and minds going to Twitter and 
it's like actually it, it could actually become an open protocol and the community can be much more involved in Twitter. And so like the, you know, the next social network is not going to be like a single social network. It's going to be that you can actually access and post to that social network from any social network. So, so your, your stuff kind of comes with you and you log in everywhere. And, but like you can log in and access your mind's content from another app, or you can post to another app from minds. And like, they have some of that kind of functionality with the APIs that they have now. So, you know, you can post to Twitter from some, you know, buffer or like Hootsuite or some, oh, some yeah. tool, but that's not like a, that, that's a centralized version of, of doing it. That's just using their APIs as opposed to actually using like an open decentralized protocol. So, I mean, I do hope the deal goes through because I think it'll just be better for humanity and better for minds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a zero-sum game. I mean, people, um, it, it, I don't think of companies that are open source and like aligned with these values as being competitors because mm -hmm. it's much more so like we can all work together and, and interoperate. So, and it just, it, it validates our model. Every, I mean, when I saw him say open source algorithms, I was just like, thank God. Like finally... I've been so annoyingly a broken record for the past decade talking about open source algorithms. And it's just like people like they hear that phrase and then they just like fall asleep. <laughs> and they go to the, I, there's a cottage in my head I go to when people talk about open source algorithms. Open source, yeah. <laughs> okay. Just that phrase, no. people don't get it. So the fact that he's saying it, it, it's like forcing people to get it because it's one of those things it's a phrase that no one wants to learn about, but they know they sort of should. And now people are actually being forced to learn about it. So can yeah. I, can I uh, put this, you tell me if I've got this right. Open source, what you're basically talking about, uh, at least as I'm interpreting it is like WordPress. I used to have some experience with uh, different places I worked for kind of helping them to do build sites using WordPress. Is that, is that what you mean where WordPress is sort of open and allows you to customize and individualize? Yeah, exactly. yeah. WordPress okay. is one of the great success stories of the open source world where like, I think it's like 30% of all websites on the internet are powered by WordPress and all of the code is open source. So like, yes, the ability to customize, but like other website tools give you kind of customizability so you can like tweak how it looks and you you can use different plugins and whatnot but like the difference with wordpress is that the core the code that makes up the whole app is completely open source so like there are there are companies like wordpress engine that actually compete against wordpress with wordpress's own code so it's like a dip like you can go to wordpress.com and make a website or you can go to WP Engine, I think it's called, and make a WordPress site. And that's because like, you can't do that with Squarespace or like Wix, which are proprietary website builders. So they're, like, WordPress wanted competition around the code that it built. So it said, which is the same thing that we do. WordPress said, hey, take our code, compete against us with our own code. You can sell our code. And what that's going to do is like, spawn more creativity it's going to bring in all the developers because it's just more customizable and you know you can have more control over it so it's just um it, it's it's like a, a a core tenet of just like the, the free information movement and public domain where you know it's just like if it if it's out there it is you know, kind of more able to, to evolve. It strikes me that is this, is this a difference in philosophy in the way that people look at the world? Like back when I, I used to go to a, a couple years ago, I was going to the spiritual center and I remember him phrasing things in terms of, do you have an abundance um, worldview or do you have a scarcity worldview? It seems mm -hmm. to me that the open information people and open source people have an abundance worldview. Like we all benefit from competition and sharing information. And 
the closed community, closed site, um, uh, it seems like that's more of that scarcity worldview. We need everything for ourselves. And also then we can control it and control everyone. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember when we were first open sourcing our code a decade ago. And, you know, you feel kind of scared to do it. You're like, oh, God, we've been working so hard on this. Are we really are we really just going to give this away? <laughs> and then you do. And it's just like people are almost like egotistically think that what they're working on, like, <laughs> is important enough for people to even steal. But the, re the reality is that 99% of what people are working on, no one will care about at all. And it's actually, <laughs> it's actually flattering if people want to steal your stuff. And, and it's, but it's not even steal. It's like, because, you know, we use a software license called the general public license, which says that, yeah, you can take this, you can sell it, but you have to give us credit. And if you make changes, then you actually have to show the changes to everybody. Mm -hmm. So there's different licenses you can use so that like, it's not like they're stealing it. They, they do have some obligations, but you know, some, some projects do go full public domain, which means that people can do absolutely anything. They don't even have to give you credit. They don't have to share what they've done. And the, the, there's sort of like this spectrum of shareability that you can, you know, within the open source world, there's everything from like public domain, which, you know, like if I put a song out there into the public domain, like anyone could literally do anything. They could release an album with it and not even put your name on it. Um, there's a really cool documentary called Everything is a Remix, right. which I, I highly recommend checking out. It's two parts and it talks all about music and culture and um, different kind of, and copyright and copyleft. So open source is much more actually like a copyleft state where yeah. um yeah you, you you have to share well that's there's a huge rabbit hole to go into it so i won't go i won't go too, okay. deep, too much deeper but I, I recommend checking out that documentary okay uh you just made me laugh because i was thinking uh when you said it's kind of egotistical to think that everything we create, people want to steal in reality they maybe only want to steal 10 percent i have a friend I'm going to change details so this will never, I'm changing the details and the name of the product, but a friend who just went through a pretty traumatic um, divorce, whose um, narcissist spouse in the, when the mediation had like spent all their money coming up with all these different things that never went anywhere. And one of them was like, patents and stuff. Yeah. 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 And, 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 and so the lawyer was coming to my friend, like, uh, they want to make sure you don't get any of Potato Pal. She's like, I don't want any of Potato Pal. <laughs> like all these different things. Right. Exactly. I changed the name, <laughs> but um, it's like, dude, nobody wants all those things. You're anyway. You're right. I think that is an egotistical thing to be like. People are always trying to get my stuff. Like I gotta keep it. And by the way, if you do have a good idea, um, and let's say somebody does steal that idea, I had to think about this a while ago. Uh, it's, it may be wrong. It may be unethical, but if it's a good idea, one silver lining of them stealing it and putting it out there is more people are hearing it. So that's yeah, something I, sure. I think, think there's, there's kind of like an ethical way to, to get involved with open source and like sharing ideas, like in comedy, for instance, like it's totally unacceptable to steal jokes in comedy. Hmm for good reason. I mean, you, because just, just the way that comedy is structured, like you can't, you just, it is possible for different people to come up with the same idea and like happen to sort of come to the same premise. But like, if you're going to, um, summarize some, if you're going to say someone else's joke, like you have to say on stage, like that, that's what you're doing. And so, Acting like something is yours without it being yours is completely not cool. Even if that thing is open source, like you should always tell where you're getting your attribute it. Yeah. Yeah. Attribute it. And so, um, 
What was the last thing you said? Oh, I don't know. I was just laughing. <laughs> I have <laughs> yeah, just about well, stealing well, as well. Is, oh, I know mindset. Yeah. I mean, people come up with all these these ideas and they think that they're gonna get rich off of these ideas. And it's not to say they won't, but like you're just it's you're working against yourself if you're just keeping everything secret and like having people sign NDAs just in order to talk to you and hear about your idea. Like in tech, this is like, it's rampant, but at the same yeah. time it's becoming so, I mean, open source is dominating now in tech. So it's, it's drastically changing. And I think people are starting to realize, especially if you look in like the crypto world, you can still become very successful and share. And WordPress is a great case. It's a multi-billion dollar company. Mm -hmm. huge, amazing success. Love that company. And they gave, they, they open sourced their code, but they can still charge for the service. All that they did was they enabled other companies to become hosts and that made it a more healthy ecosystem. I'm going to switch gears here for a second, Bell, because I don't know how much time I have you, but I wanted to ask you to, um, to tell us about your event that's coming up in New York on yep. June 25th. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. So we're doing the Minds Fest at the Beacon Theater on June 25th. And it, you're coming, right? I'm coming. Nice. You have an amazing lineup. I'm well, excited. We got to get you on a panel next time. This one got, this one yeah. got full. Um, you but, have uh, Cornell West. Yeah. We've really made a huge effort to bring in the left and the right in as balanced a way as possible. So I can um, read some of the people who are coming, but we've got, so the, we got Nick Gillespie from reason, the editor there, Blair white, myself, Ian Crossland, who you might know from oh, Tim. Know Ian. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tim pool, James O'Keefe, Cornell West, Coleman Hughes, Daryl Davis, Seth Dillon, Zuby, Majid Nawaz, Chrissy Mayer, Ben Burgess, a Jacobin, Steve Bonnell, Destiny, Libby Evans, Margaret Kimberly, who is, um, you know, very much like a free speech supporting um, progressive. And then the big one that we're announcing today is Tulsi Gabbard. What? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know about that one. Yeah, ah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, you. Okay, so I like it because it's such an interesting group of people. There's so many people there I like. But also, like you said, you managed to get people like Cornell West who are on the left. And I think he's amazing. I think, I mean, I may not agree with him on everything, but he's very open-minded. He's very, there was a book I read called um, Love Your Enemies. Uh, and in one of the chapters. Oh, they really? Talk, I haven't read that. Um, it's it's a great book. I think the guy wrote it. Um, I'm blanking on his name right now, but I think he has a couple of blind spots in it, specifically about my old ideology, social justice, and assuming that it's a good faith belief system and not everybody who's in it is in it with good faith. That's one of his blind spots. But overall, I really love his premise, which is um, he's sort of talking about how about how to get back to a place of conversation where you listen to people who disagree with you on policy issues. And, and he makes the argument that um, he talks about Aristotle and these different kinds of love and in uh, different kinds of friendship. And he gives an example and Cornell West is one of his examples. And he talks about his lifelong friendship with this conservative, this other professor and how they regularly disagree on everything. They disagree in front of classrooms sort of as an illustrative model. And yet they remain like best friends and will come to each other's defense if people try and defame either, you know, one or the other um, and really put him out there as someone who walks the, the talk. Yeah. Arthur Brooks. Um, I just looked it up. Arthur Brooks. That's it. Yeah. yeah it's yeah, not a long really read. Cool. Good. I mean, you know, Cornell, I remember I saw he did this one interview where it was kind of like in this prohibition style uh, pub and, or speakeasy. And with Gavin McGinnis, this was like 
Oh, wow. Two or three years ago, sort of in the midst of Gavin, um, you know, kind of getting deplatformed and whatnot. And there's Cornell like doing, doing his show. And it's just like, that is the only way to roll. Like if you, yeah. if you're not willing to talk to people on the opposite side, then you're just like, not even a part, honestly, like by definition, you're not a part of the conversation. Yeah. You're not, you're not, you're, you're in yeah. your silo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. It goes back to the thing about some of the new um, alternatives to the big social platforms, which are still kind of functioning as silos of just everyone who agrees. And um, yeah, I love, I love that. I love your lineup. So if you guys are in New York or if you want to travel to New York, this is going to be on June 25th. Um, yep, June 25th. Also uh, there is live stream, even if you're not going to be there. Right. So if you go to festival.minds.com, you can see the different links, but yeah, we would love people to, to come in person. Um, but if you can't definitely check it out on stream. Yeah. Very cool. Um, I think I got through most of my questions. I just have kind of a big picture question for you at sure. the end. Oh, and if you don't mind, I'll read this really quick. I have a question for you from the audience. Andrew, thank you. Andrew gives a super chat and says, what are your thoughts on library or odyssey? and their decentralized content network. Yeah, I definitely think that Library and Odyssey is is another network that I actually respect in this space. I mean, they're open source, they're doing it right, focusing on video, involved, you know, in, involved in decentralized systems. So yeah, I, I, I think that they were, were even, you know, I've talked to Jeremy before and, you know, there's definitely mutual respect. And we've even talked about ways of kind of interoperating and connecting more. So I dig it. Yeah. Thank you, Andrew. And then pirate Tomsky gives a super chat and says, Bill is one of your favorite movies, antitrust where Ryan Felipe screws over the Bill Gates character at the end. I actually haven't seen that movie. <laughs> I haven't I'm, either. I'm constantly looking for movies like that because like, you know, kind of succession style, uh, series or, or movies i'll definitely check it out because ryan felipe is badass and uh screwing over bill gates sounds like fun i'll have to watch that one too yeah. i haven't seen that yeah. so i wanted you to i wanted to ask you kind of a big picture question going back to talking about evolving technology and the ways in which we live our lives as humans what do you think is positive why are you working in in the web because we've talked about all the some of the dangers of big tech and influencing people's moods and people becoming addicted and what is it about the the social media and about the internet and this increased connectivity online mm -hmm. that's positive yeah i mean it's just as positive as i mean look the real world physical world it's always going to be irreplaceable you want balance in your life um, but you know, when comparing physical versus digital, I don't really like to give any sort of, you know, I don't think digital is like morally or like ethically worse. It's, it's digital nature is digital too now. And so I think that you just want to have good balance in your life for like being willing to put your phone down for like, hopefully at least half your life. <laughs> Most people are probably on their phone more than half of their day or their, or their device. But, you know, I think that you can accomplish just as much good, if not, I mean, potentially even far more online, but you know, it, it, to each their own, like some people can have insane impact in the physical world. Some people can have that effect on the physical world from the digital world. So it's all sort of intermeshing. And also there's all kinds of toxic shit that can happen on in physical world so it's like you know you can make it work in either place and you just want to have discipline to not get addicted to stuff and you know you just got to be conscious when you're in the digital world what you're using and it's but it's the same in the physical world like if you're like when you go to the grocery store like what are you buying where are you going who are you supporting it's the same thing what choices are you making? Mm -hmm. Yeah, same thing. Well, thank you so much, Bill. 
thanks for hanging out with us here today. Yeah, and uh, you guys, I know Pirate has been posting links in the chat, but uh, you just want to tell people where they can find you before you take off. Yeah, hit me up at Otman, O-T-T-M-A-N on Minds, or you can, you know, get the app, get the, make make an account, find me. If you can get the apps at minds.com slash mobile. Yeah, rock on. Cool. Thank you so much, Bill. Have a nice day. Oh, there it is, Bill on Minds. Thanks for having me. Talk Thanks, soon. Pirate. Bye.